I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast. I'm Anders Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anta and Aaron. My last name is the same as my brother's. And this month, we're talking about Ridley Scott's latest epic, Napoleon. And here we go. Few directors today can credibly mount a large-scale battle scene the way Sir Ridley Scott can. From the Oscar-winning crowd-pleaser Gladiator to 2021's The Last Duel, the British director, now in his sixth decade of filmmaking, can be reliably counted on to bring his impeccable eye for production design to historical epics that combine a sense of scale with gritty violence. Of course, Sir Ridley is one of those rare named directors who is also comfortable working across a range of material, from his legendary science fiction films, Blade Runner and Alien, to crime films such as American Gangster, or even comedy dramas, including A Good Year and Thelma and Louise. Whatever you think of Ridley Scott, he brings a sense of style and panache to the cinema screen. While Napoleon might seem to obviously fit into the historical epic mode of Ridley Scott film, this exploration of the famed military commander and emperor of France come conqueror of Europe is equally focused on his complicated romance with Josephine, his lover and friend, to the end of his life in exile on the island of St. Helena. Scott smartly doesn't start at the beginning of his life as a child, but rather with the Corsican captain Napoleon Bonaparte's bravery and leadership at the Siege of Toulon on the French Riviera. We know we're getting vintage Ridley Scott violence when Napoleon's horse takes a cannonball straight to the chest on the initial charge. From there, we follow his return to Paris, his courtship of Josephine, a widow who was imprisoned during the Reign of Terror, his rise to consul and emperor, his military genius, disastrous invasion of Russia, and finally the Battle of Waterloo and final exile. All the time, Josephine remains a constant part of his life even after he dissolves their marriage over his desire for an heir she could not provide. The film presents a complex portrait of the world's striding figure, a man whose desires and ego seem hardly satisfied by his accomplishments, eventually leading him to destruction of the two things he claims to love above all, France and Josephine. It's also a notably humorous film at times, encouraging us to see the absurdity and outrageousness of this larger-than-life figure a man who it is hard to believe was actually real in any sense. Which is why the film is anchored in the performance of Joaquin Phoenix, once again playing an emperor for Ridley Scott over 20 years after his Oscar-nominated performance in Gladiator. Phoenix makes the character both believable in his arrogance and accomplishment, but also brings a tenderness and sadness in his haunted hangdog eyes and downturned mouth. Phoenix is an actor hardly afraid to put his all into a role, and this role feels to me like a further cementing of him as one of our most accomplished popular performers, following up on his Oscar win for Joker. Rising star Vanessa Kirby brings a sexiness and woundedness to Josephine, a woman with her own ambitions, but also one who is deeply hurt, having to play sick and fiddle to the nation in her own lover's ambitions. After playing the wild child Princess Margaret in the first two seasons of Netflix The Crown, Kirby is comfortable in the role of a woman at odds between passion and duty. Napoleon offers a lot to discuss. It's a big film, with a lot of, at times, conflicting tonal shifts in mood and focus. But the historical figure of Napoleon is bigger than any film can really capture. And so Scott's attempt to provide an epic canvas for the personal exploration of this man of destiny seemed to work pretty well. Some elements of Napoleon's life and his historical role 
including the mark he left on French institutional life, are given short shrift. But what Scott does offer us is a series of passionate and entertaining vignettes in the great man's life. Images of undeniable power, such as the burning of Moscow, or grand scale, with tens and hundreds of thousands of men on the battlefields of Austerlitz or Waterloo. Now, I was pretty happy with this film. I had a good time watching it. It looks great. It may lack the personal touch and focus that, for instance, Martin Scorsese brings to his recent epics, but Scott can be relied on for his craftsmanship and eye for entertainment. What I especially appreciated is how what could have been a dry historical lesson is a good time at the movies. It flies by. Two hours and 40 minutes. Listen. And the lead performances are very good. It might not be my top film of the year, but it's the kind of film I like. And it reminds me of why I like Ridley Scott, even as others criticize him. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. No doubt you've seen the chaos in the streets. We must make an example or France will fall. What would you do if this assignment of defense was transferred to you? I promise you brilliant successes. Everyone. Everyone around. What is this costume you have on? This is my uniform. I led the French victory at Toulon. What is your name? Napoleon. As the course of my life just changed? Napoleon. I'm destined for greatness. But those in power will only see me as a sword. I suggest you take the throne as a king. Shall we vote? So what did you guys think? Did you have a good time with the film? Aaron, you saw the film ahead of Anton and I. Did Napoleon deliver on what you expected from Ridley Scott? Yeah, it delivered as a Ridley Scott movie, and I think that's part of the reason why I had fun with it. And I, I like your intro because it's just on a pure like scale factor. I don't think there's many directors that can handle what he does here i think even if um you're going to critique the film's approach to napoleon as a figure where there's like kind of two ways you could do it you could say um you don't like the fact that the movie really goes all in on the napoleon complex aspect of him and creates this kind of little boy petulance narrative that goes throughout the whole thing especially with his his relationship with josephine where it's as much almost a like baby wants mommy kind of thing as it is a, yeah. a like I'm I'm the king and you're my queen kind of thing but then on the other hand it's just you know it's it's somewhat abbreviated even though it isn't his entire life it's his it's his professional life so to speak right his political life um but that's apparently you know there's a like a four hour ten minute version course, that really yeah. Scott has that he's going to pump out at some point in the future so I feel like I'm not so worried about that and and honestly I I don't need a historical film to um, line up with my own understanding of the historical figure to enjoy it. But the thing I really do fixate on with this movie is just like, okay, 
there are some awesome battle scenes in these movie this movie that are like way more enjoyable than any large-scale fights i've seen in comparable films of the last like five years definitely and the i think the battle of toulon and the battle of austerlitz especially are like really rousing interesting grand scale action scenes where he doesn't seem to be just like repeating himself either he's i think austerlitz especially because there's so many different layers to napoleon's strategy there that you actually get a good sense of his mind as a tactician within that battle and then you also get a dramatic irony and like a tragic element to him because it's he uses the elements to an advantage, which becomes his undoing in his own like egotistical run to Moscow and then his conquest of Russia, where it's like if he had just assumed that like he was fighting himself on the battlefield, he wouldn't be undone there, <laughs> you know. But it's just one of those things of like a kind of pride before the fall. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's it's an enjoyable epic. And I can see it being the kind of movie that a lot of people who don't go see a ton of movies, especially maybe a bit of an older crowd going and like enjoying, even if I don't think they're necessarily going to love the portrait of Napoleon as a figure that this film creates, which really does lean on Joaquin Phoenix's role in the center of it, where it like it tailors mm-hmm, Napoleon definitely. to Joaquin Phoenix as opposed to the other yes. way around. Like, I mean, I want to get Anton, I want to get your take in a second here, but I think that, uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is the the center of the film. And, you know, one thing I'll note is that uh, Ridley Scott here isn't, you know, nobody's trying to do French accents. This is Joaquin Phoenix, you know, in all his normal mannerisms and then ticks to some degree. And yet I think that he's channeling that into the character of Napoleon in a really effective way. But Anton, what did you think? I would say I have much more mixed feelings about the movie. I don't love its portrayal of either Napoleon or the history, although there's lots that I like and admire about the film. I also think just on a setting aside my my take on Napoleon and say uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance, we'll set that aside for now. I don't know if the movie works in terms of how it tells its story. Uh, it, it felt incredibly choppy to me. And, you know, a lot of people are just there's so many rumors and so much about this. Oh, this potential uh, four hour movie coming out and that, of course, you know, in given Ridley Scott's um, tendency to have these director's cuts or, you know, to sort of recover or change films in the subsequent versions. I wouldn't be surprised if this is going to come out or not. But I also um, I've also heard rumors that Apple kind of encouraged him to trim it down so they could get it out in theaters so that they could have a run at Oscars and things like that when maybe, you know, so I'm just curious about the whole production side of this. Is this, is this really uh, the version he wanted? Because to me, there's just pieces that are missing in, in the story, both on terms of like his, his rise and fall, that sort of arc. Um, So to me, like, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I dislike the movie. I, kind of enjoyed watching it but I really am not I wasn't overwhelmed by uh really anything in it and I was kind of disappointed by certain aspects it's it's interesting because I I mentioned in the keynote that the film does play as a series of vignettes yeah I think that's a good way to it doesn't put it. It's like, I don't think that there is necessarily an overarching through line except for the relationship with Joseph but yes so I I, I agree because I think you know okay Napoleon is a huge subject. I think there's something like 600,000 plus books on Napoleon out there. And it's much too much to tell 
in one movie. So you're going to have to pick your angle and your focus. And we can argue about whether we think the focus on Napoleon and Josephine's relationship is sort of the center is the right choice. But even setting that aside, um, I'm not, I'm curious, like, there's parts where it's like, I don't know if some of the other stuff is fully comprehensible with like what's on screen. Like, do we actually understand how he becomes first consul and how he then becomes emperor? Like, it feels like there's gaps on how some of this stuff Absolutely. actually happens. If it and I felt like it's like missing. It's ellipses. But it, it, I wonder ellipses, if Ridley but... Scott, as a guy who's like, you know, in his 80s, is like actually assuming a familiarity with the Napoleonic myth that many people in his audience won't necessarily have, which might lend the, you know, the yeah. film. Uh, like, it'd be an interesting film to compare this to in my mind, is a couple of things. I mean, obviously, there's the obvious comparisons to Scott's own films. Aaron, you mentioned the Battle of Austerlitz and and how it was staged. To me, that scene also, though, has a, a hint of the opening of Gladiator, Maximus's uh, yeah, ploy absolutely. to draw the, the the Germanic tribes out, right? On my, you know, on my mark. Wh- on which my is also a Especially, great... I think the other show tactics within a fight. And I think that what the film does, well, that's actually one of the things the film does really well is on the more micro tactical level show Napoleon's use of like small arms, mortars, the recasting of the the cannons at Toulon. uh, And then, and then you start to see his enemies and stuff, pick up on this, these strategies and use them against him and things like that. Right. Um, But the other film that I'd be curious to compare it to in some ways is Another film about one of the the few gr- people who you can legitimately call a great man of history, you know, people who make history as much as they are shaped by, uh, you know, historical uh, factors and, and hemmed in by context would be someone like Abraham Lincoln and Spielberg's Lincoln, which also narrows its scope to some degree to the, the you know, the time around the Civil War and, and those kind of things. It doesn't attempt to give us the whole life. But this, it's almost like go double-minded though, right? Because you could imagine a version of this Napoleon that is even more focused, that is even more narrow on certain aspects. But it's almost like Ridley Scott's like, but I got to get a Reign of Terror scene in here. And you know what? I got to do Waterloo. I got to do my Waterloo, you know? like Yeah, well, things, I, so. I can obviously understand his his draw to the battle scenes. And I, I think we all agree that he's someone who, He's one of the best filmmakers to handle these large-scale battle scenes to to show the ebbs and flows of battle and all that sort of stuff. I I just wish there was a little bit more of the attention to detail in terms of uh, just the politics or like what's going on the way that Lincoln had in the sense that like you know I I'm I'm not opposed to having you know a bunch of scenes telling the relationship between Napoleon and Josephine and and I've actually found those scenes interesting but if you're watching the movie I'm not sure it's clear like why are these Napoleonic wars going on like you were almost missing like a few even just like a few kind of like um, moments of montage or or other short scenes to fill in and convey things that are going on on the larger scale of things. But then if you were going to say, okay, we're not going to have that at all. I think you're right that it's somewhat double-minded because then it's, it's not convincing then as a uh, completely sort of um, limited, narrow focus uh, Napoleon movie. He is trying uh, to kind of give, have it yeah. both ways. I do want, I want to give Aaron a chance to jump in here, but I guess 
my last thing I would say to your critique is that this is a Ridley Scott movie. And your, your criticism echoes a lot of people's criticisms of Scott's films sometimes, which is that they are not detail-oriented in many ways, other than in mise-en-scene and production design and attention to the filmmaking detail and uh, the effect of an individual scene. I, don't, I think many times, maybe that's partly because he doesn't write his own scripts, uh, that he's often working with others' material and, and shaping it that way. Um, that to me, this though feels like a film which many of the criticisms are criticisms that can be leveled at many Ridley Scott films, even other ones that I really like. Well, I, I think even the historical criticism, like maybe we're, even if he doesn't want to make a movie that's particularly interested in the political side of Napoleon and that sort of stuff, Gladiator has a narrative that has such incredible momentum and we're never unclear what's going on in that movie. In fact, it's one of those movies that I think partly it's so successful because it has such an incredible, there's so much energy to its plot line. And this but movie, like, is, 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 is this a rise fine. and fall or what is this? Like, you know what I mean? I don't know what kind of even story this is because we we're see certain trajectories in different parts of his life. But I'm not even sure, like, what the movie's trying to say is, like, on the war level versus on the personal life level. To me, it just, it kind of feels incomplete in that sense. Like there's, there's literally pieces that have been pulled out of it. But Aaron, like, I don't know, where do you f stand on, like, do you think that this was a good focus for how you tell a Napoleon or is setting that aside? Like, are you just satisfied enough with the pieces we got? It's a tricky question because I'm not like entirely sure how you tell a Napoleon movie. Like, I don't know if it's possible. And it, it's funny because Napoleon is one of those stories that is, you know, famously Stanley Kubrick wanted to make a Napoleon film and like never could pull it together because he could never wrangle the story. It's a story like he's you could probably argue he's like the greatest figure militarily or politically of the last like 500 years. Right. Yeah. Like or the most consequential. He like reshaped Europe. He reshaped the modern age. He's responsible for all these um military tactics that changed everything but also he's responsible something that the movie glides over and it's somewhat disinterest in the the minutiae of stuff but like enormous reforms like yeah. people you know we have this I, i've noticed this in in like a lot of reviews talking about napoleon as like one of the great tyrants of history and it's also like you know he he's probably the most like single-handedly like responsible figure for the like greatest jump forward in terms of liberty in like all of human history <laughs> in terms of his like rechanging of all of like France laws to all the things that we take for granted about like liberal society now is just Napoleon being like, I think that should happen. And then it just happened. <laughs> so you get tastes of it in the relationships also though, between Napoleon and his, his, his soldiers and his, political advisors and people they they come across they're people who genuinely love their leader they're not but gang pressed okay. into like there's a scene when napoleon is handing personally handing out food to the soldiers right and they are they, he, like, he has his bond with his soldiers he never ever and what's interesting is napoleon often always wore like the uniform not of like the rank that he wore right he was wearing the rank of a man of a lower rank and i think that that's uh significant in some way um, but maybe the film doesn't do enough to to foreground that for people. So my question to you guys would be like, what what is what is this movie saying about Napoleon? What is its message? So skimming some reviews online, 
there seems to be a group of people who think that this is on one level a deconstruction of great men of history. I've seen more than a couple of reviews mention that sort of thing. I don't know if I fully buy that. At the same time, I I did see an interview uh, with Scott where he said he always he he seemed captivated by the love story angle. We have a lot of the letters that Napoleon wrote to Josephine. So we actually have a lot of the, you know, the primary material and we can actually know their intimate life in a way that we don't know most historical people. You know? Um, like we actually know some of like the sexual details in a way that you just like don't know about most people in history. But if that's the focus, then like what, so what is it saying through the, what we get between Napoleon and Josephine on some level, you know, or it's like, is this, was he all like, did he do this all for her? But then he lost her. Like, you know, what I'm saying is like, to me, I came away from the movie that there's, there's moments and there's scenes I like, even though I don't love I don't know if I necessarily think Joaquin Phoenix was the best person for Napoleon, but at the same time, the more I think about it, the more I like his weird performance as it kind of its own thing. Like the line about like, you just think you're great because you have boats. Like he says to the English and like, it's such a stupid, silly line. And I kind of like yeah, it. He took out their boats at Toulon with the cannons, right? So yeah. he knew that that was the but, issue. I kind of like, disagree because I actually really like Joaquin Phoenix's performance to me. That, I think maybe that's why I like the movie better. I'm not sure that I would not. Napoleon can't be a uh, you know a, a typical leading man. That's when King Phoenix and all his oddity and eccentricity is the guy who can be both like powerful enough as a performer and charismatic enough, but a little bit weird. Yeah, right? like but he's what not. You, but what he's missing then is that so one like he he's too old in the sense that like Napoleon actually achieved most of these things when he was quite young. Like he's starting in his twenties. And in his 30s, he's achieving these things. But that also means that what the film doesn't really convey is that um, from my limited reading on Napoleon, it's like he was kind of known for someone to have boundless energy. And in this movie, Napoleon seems like he's just kind of this guy who sort of goes along with the flow. And leading into my thing about um, the casting of Phoenix, but also related to like, what is this movie saying? I came away from this movie being like, why is this Napoleon guy supposed to be so great? Sure, we see some good tactics on the battlefield. I think you're right that like a scene like Austerlitz, like the battle conveys something of the character. But at the end, I'm like, why do his troops love him? Like, I, I don't believe that he is this person who is shaping everything around him based on what the movie gives us. I don't think so. To answer your question, I don't think the movie is arguing i i think it is a, the film sides with the idea that he is as much created by the history as he creates it yeah and i i think the movie kind so so really scott is somebody who's actually really critical of like great men myths so his you know you take gladiator which you brought up it's a movie that has a, some something of a great man myth in marcus aurelius but he's um, undone by his blind spot towards the children. And then it has the possibility of creating a like great man myth in Maximus who refuses to it because he's an actual hero. But then you take like his, especially his more recent movies that kind of almost tend towards nihilism in the, in the yeah. storytelling. Prometheus. He, he, Prometheus, Counsel. the counselor alien covenant are very like Luciferian, right? It's this idea that in actuality, um, human history is more of something like spurned 
by the satanic impulse to like destroy than to create, right? And yes. and so Napoleon is one of those figures that seems driven by like an insatiable desire to like dominate, despite the fact that in Scott's um, reckoning and in Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal seems to be perpetually like in search of comfort and like confidence and standing. And so I like he he somehow ties his prowess on the battlefield to his sexual in you know, like he complete like incapability sexually, right? Like the movie is leans into the cuckold aspect of him. Yeah. And it leans into the fact that like, despite how many scenes of him begging, you know, demand sex right now, everybody leaves yeah. the room. And then it's like a really pathetic sex scene. And then it cuts to something else and it plays it for laughs basically. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. get this impression throughout, despite his annoyance that Josephine can't get pregnant because you know, she's already had kids. She's a little bit older. She's been through a lot in the reign of terror and stuff. It, the movie still, despite the fact that, you know, he does end up having a child with um, the, the Austrian princess, he, it kind of lays the, like, the um, lack of an heir squarely at, like, his feet more. It's like, it's like he's... He never considers he, that. Yeah. It, yeah, no, but, it, like, the movie makes, leans that, that way of the idea of, like, he never considers that it could be him, and he never, con- it never considers that it's, like, almost a very... This is a weird tangent, but there. So I don't know if either of you guys have seen the Last Duel, his, his previous yeah, film. No, I've which, seen it. It's okay, I missed that, but I'm definitely gonna catch up. I think the Last Duel is one of his best movies, but I think it's also a really strong. Definitely script. one of his best recent years. Yeah, but like it's a really strong script. Yeah, and the, the whole extended court scene in the Last Duel continuously comes back to the thing that the priest slash prosecutor will bring up, which is that. A woman cannot conceive if there is not love in the moment of con- of conception. Like we all know this biologically true, so you can't be raped if you conceive. It's kind of the like it's one of those things in there where it's like, you know, if you if there's no love in the relationship, you can't have a child. But if you have a child as a result of the rape, then you actually were in love with the man, so it's not rape. It's like a really yeah. like convoluted, horrible way of thinking, but it's it's a thing that's currently brought up in the arguments in that movie. And it, the movie views it very, like, negatively. Like, it, it correctly, like, looks with scorn upon that kind of argument. But weirdly enough, this movie seems to almost make the argument that Napoleon's lack of actual love for Josephine is what stops him from being able to conceive with her. So on some level, is well, this whole movie I've, a sexual comedy? I actually comedy? read it a little bit differently. Yeah, I, do th- I actually do think, I do think it is a bit of a sexual comedy, but I think it's a tragic comedy. I think it is a tragedy of a, a man whose desires uh, outstrip his even ample a- accomplishments in many ways, right? He's he's never satisfied to some degree, even though he has already has everything that he really truly desires. He he has the emperorship of France. He has Josephine's love, but he always wants a little bit more, and he ends up destroying because he's so great that only he has to undo himself, right? Yeah, so he has to crown himself. Hubris or the desire. <laughs> yeah. sees the I think ground. it is. I think it's a hubristic kind of thing, right? It, you know, and so it mirrors this, his relationship with Josephine, with his with the Moscow and uh, you know campaign and the Waterloo even. And so to me, that that's how I read it. Is like the film is a tragic comedy uh, that mirrors his his personal life and 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 that other aspect of it. I'm not built like other men. And I'm not subject to petty insecurity. You're a beast. 
feel sorry for you. You want to be great? Hmm? You are nothing without me. You are just a brute that is nothing without me. No, that 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 makes sense. And I, I probably misspoke there, but I'm just like it it it's because those the movie plays the inability to conceive as a kind of comic failure that reflects back upon well, the it's ironic. Yeah. It is ironic that a man who can achieve everything else because so yes, you know, maybe this is weird. Like it may be appropriate given the, the French Revolution and it's uh, the role that it played in uh, the development of certain political theories and things like that. I do think this plays more rather than if you want to take the great man of history, you know, I recently was, you know, was reminded of a quote by Marx in the 18th premiere um, that um, the Marx's belief obviously is that, you know, history is determined by material forces, right? Not rather than great man. That's where a lot of this anti-great man stuff comes from, right? Now, but Marx also says that there are men can shape history, but they do so, I'm paraphrasing, constrained by what they're given, right? And Napoleon never accepts the constraints uh, that he's given. He, he's able to do amazing things, but he always wants, he wants to go one more. He's not able to, uh, you know, accept the constraints of falling in love with a woman who was, you know, damaged in the reign of terror in, in many ways. He's not able to accept the, you know, the constraints of you don't attack Russia in winter, you know, these kind of things. He, so he, so he, he is able to do great things. He is able to shape history in a way that very few people ever have, you know, ever. Yeah, but. And yet he, the, the idea, you know, we all know that Napoleon's story is ultimately tragic, like Waterloo, you know, is is ironic in many ways, you know. Yeah, and so in that sense, Napoleon's like you know the embodiment of the modern man, right? Like the desire to Earth modern man in a lot of ways exert control, uh, dominate, dominate, domineer things, um, but will not be able to ultimately attain the total control that he desires. But but I just so I guess I maybe would understand this movie more as this tragic comedy. That, you know, I still I still just find that, like, you know, the movie just uh, you could have had a few scenes to convey certain things that are missing and they just would have helped. So, like, why is it that these troops would do all this and march and love him? We're, we, we It's just sort of explained, uh, you know, when when they all uh, march with him into Paris, but we, we're never convinced by that fact. And we're never convinced that like he is building and managing an empire that's remodeling Europe. He seems rather incompetent in most things in this movie. And I, we I get that we I get agree, he, well, but... but like, do we actually see it? Even on the battlefield, like we're just told he's this genius, but like the movie doesn't convince me as like I was missing it having any sense, any portrayal of that sort of genius that, you know, like I wanted a little bit of the like the genius subgenre where you get like, you know, where I'm, I, where I'm amazed by what Mozart can do. And yeah, I really like what Sherlock that, Holmes is doing. And the, the, the other film that might be interesting compared to is Amadeus. Well, but it doesn't give us the, like the pleasure of like seeing him work. 
and do what but, he does well. So you didn't find like the opening battle at Toulon, like what his his genius of like let's recast these cannons. Let's we're gonna turn the cannons on the ships in the harbor. We're gonna. Do I'm not this. sure it's portrayed the as Austerlitz, a lake. The, it the, in the that whole, scene, it getting emphasizes them to retreat onto the the lake. I mean, in like, Toulon, it mostly I'm not sure emphasizes what else is his heavy breathing in the fact that he's overwhelmed actually by this scenario. Yeah, but Anthony, and yet it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter because his genius was not in his like necessarily his. He's not Aragorn who's gonna like you know fight each guy. No, I know that on his own. It's in his tactical genius to oversee the whole idea, and then it doesn't matter if one individual soldier is better than the other because his plan is better. But I'm not even convinced that the movie gives us the exposition to explain why this is such like a genius thing. Like the movie isn't interested in exposition. That's partly a really yeah. Shock. No, it's I Anton. I agree, and like I agree that the the movie is truncated. Um, and it's why, despite it being 160 minutes, I was, I didn't think it felt long. And I was actually like, I could have used it being a little longer because I could have used a bit more context and, and as you say, exposition to set up both the military stuff and the personal. What I was disagree with is the comment on the breathing the breathing in the moment to be fair is a bit of an undercut where it's like oh look napoleon's like scared shitless at his like first great battle but it's also an art it's like a character arc thing just just think about how he's terrified and yet he has a great plan which is executed perfectly yeah and then you take anton and then you take waterloo and he's literally sleeping on his own feet because he is so overconfident about his plan. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. He doesn't have to react to the fact that they've spotted the germ, the Prussians coming eight miles away. He doesn't have to react to the fact that it's raining. He just like, I'm just doing what I do and I will conform the world to my plan at that point. And he's so confident that he's literally sleeping in like the sights of a sniper and he just doesn't care. And the trajectory of the man who has a panic a panic attack before a battle to the man who can sleep at a battlefield on his own feet is the arc of the of the character and explains his success and his downfall and his within that transition i'm not saying it's like perfect yeah. i'm not well, saying that it shows every element of the the journey but i do think there is a genuine arc in this film and there's an actual like character study here i just don't think we're actually getting the full like like I don't want to say it's a good script or a bad script because we're not getting the whole script. This, like I, would, I, I would agree that the script is probably one of the weaker parts of this movie compared with the direction and the performances and things like that. But like even at the Battle of Toulon, like within that battle, he by the end, like I mean, the dude had his horse blown. That's like a shocking bit when the horse I mentioned in the intro, right? But then yeah, it's, it's, how he ends the battle a, is it's he a great, digs his it's hand a famous into the moment. horse and pulls out the cannonball and give it to mother, right? Yeah. Like it's. No, it's he's, already. He's determined that he's not going to allow his own individual fear and the danger to stop him from building that myth, and that that's a moment of myth building for him. I'm right? I'm not like I'm not saying that the movie should have had Napoleon be like badass in too long. My my point is that the movie is interested in showing his physical weakness in that moment. Yeah, what I'm saying is that what the movie is interested in in Napoleon is those kinds of things. What it's not interested in is Napoleon writing hundreds of letters, managing an empire from a tent somewhere in Poland while he's managing these other big battles. It's not interested in the fact that Napoleon was interested in 
rebuilding Paris down to being like, why isn't this church being demolished yet? While he's also, you know, planning like Austerlitz and Waterloo. What I just mean is like, it's not interested in this sense that Napoleon is someone of immense capacity. In fact, it actually, it actually portrays him as someone who has a very narrow set of skills, if he has skills. And, but then it, I do think it's missing certain pieces of how does he become, it's, it's very much just set up that it's inevitable that he would become consul. He's sort of man in the right moment, joins the three, right? And then kind of just becomes emperor. We have like one little conversation with Talleyrand, or sorry, uh, yeah, I think that's his name. Um, and then he's and then he's being like coronated. And so it's not interested in sort of the, I guess in some sense, it's like it's not interested in how he rose. It actually sees that almost as inevitable. So maybe like on some it's, level, it's then a, I'm sorry, just a, to clarify, a shift of focus, yeah. I'm a little bit, I'm a little, I'm getting a little bit divided in my conversation. So I have to bracket off like some of these things are not faults with the movie they're just the choices and they wouldn't necessarily been my napoleon which is a legitimate critique i do think to say that given the same material you would have chosen to focus on something so the way it focuses on too long and that sort of stuff that's not a flaw in the film but i do think there are other pieces that are missing in telling whatever arc or whatever story it is because at the end of the day i'm sort of like i'm intrigued by this relationship with josephine i'm intrigued by this this guy who write is being cuckolded by his wife, so he's just going to blast a cannon at uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza. But like, you know, but then I'm like, I'm not entire. I'm still not entirely sure. Thinking about this movie, like, okay, what, what, like, what is it saying? It's funny you bring up that I specific love the pyramid moment scene. that he, yeah, no, the no, but see, here's the thing, Anton. This is That's why like the best image I, in the movie. I think why the movie might be frustrating but also kind of awesome it like it's a weird mix and i don't think it's like a perfect film i don't think it's like one of the best movies here i just enjoyed watching it and it's it's a movie that seems content a very fixated on making napoleon out to be this like baby but then it's also like he's such a badass that he can defeat the entire british arab army by just blasting a pyramid <laughs> being like screw yeah. you i'm gonna exactly. i'm just gonna shoot the greatest like architectural achievement in, in human history like yeah. that i like that again to go back to the things that i like about ridley scott is his sense of scale his sense of composition like that movie gave me a sense of scale of the pyramids that you rarely get in oh yeah and then when they go down underneath it to look at the mummy and stuff like that yeah, like awesome. those are they're as big as skyscrapers right like that was actually a very good scene uh, i like scene i love all that staring at I the wish mummy more and it sort of shifts yeah. and stuff yeah that was great. but but also like just think but just think no, like but just on that, like just think about the fact that he. This is a level of st- cinematic storytelling that not as many filmmakers can do anymore. In which he has summed up an entire chapter of a person's life in one image, mm-hmm. and it's even an invented image. But he's you don't need anything else in that moment. You don't need the battle. You don't need any of the other stuff. All you need is his petulant look, and he just orders to shoot the cannon, and like yeah. that's it. And it's just one of those moments of like. Scott gets it because it's a classical filmmaking thing. <laughs> and in terms of historical things, there's a sense also which Napoleon was one of the ways he revolutionizes warfare is in his understanding of uh, gun firepower as like artillery, actual yeah. artillery as like and and using it with cavalry and other things yeah. as in like conjunction. the primary thing. Like other, I think other commanders before that still hadn't un- really understood the potential of artillery 
as like and and now we you know are in the age of like aerial bombardment and things like that like napoleon did change like the yeah, world yeah. for military um but the the other film that i mentioned earlier was amadeus right and you said that we don't get a sense of him as a genius the way we get like tom holse's mozart as a genius but tom holse's mozart you know is in the if you describe napoleon here as both a genius and kind of a petulant child in the same way that tom holse's mozart is both a you know uh, a gene absolute genius and also as you know other salieri and others describe him as yeah. a, just a horrible creature who is just like so irritating in in some scenes right mm-hmm. um but uh, i don't know when the last time you watched amadeus was but like this film also captures a little bit of like trying to make the scenes in paris of like 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 having the the uh, the 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 ball after the end of the reign of terror, the survivors' ball and things like that, giving it a bit of that like kind of almost punk edge that Amadeus tried to do with the the court yeah. of uh, Joseph, Emperor Joseph, right? That was Mozart. That that giggling, dirty-minded creature I just seen. Crawling on the floor. This also reminds me of Barry Lyndon in some of those yeah. scenes. Yeah. Well, and Barry Lyndon, of course, being a Napoleonic film. Like, those are the films that you can't ignore. And then, of course, the interesting thing here is that this is coming full circle for Ridley Scott, right? Because The Duelist is his first film. Yeah. Which I which I actually and, haven't seen. I, I okay. need to see it. Yeah. And you only but get I know it's one Napoleonic, right? Napoleon in the film, in the distance. Oh, really? Right? So, this movie mm. is, yeah, if I recall correctly. So, the, yeah, this film is an interesting. Uh, you know, also maybe it's just also my bias is that I actually think talking about those films, especially like Barry Lyndon, which is one of my actually favorite Kubrick films, is I actually think Napoleonic era combat. I think we need more movies about it because I oh, think man. it's actually one of the best. Yeah, well, Barry Barry Lyndon is also one of those movies that it's brilliant because when you get to the very last scene, yeah, the entire thing, like the whole piece of it, like makes sense in a way that. Like that to me is a movie that's so complete in the the way yeah. it portrays the whole arc. But well, so, the end title card of Barry Lyndon is one of the great ends of any movie ever. But comparing so comparing um, this to other Ridley Scott movies, I feel a little bit like I did after I saw Kingdom of Heaven in theaters way back in what two thousand five. Yep, four, yeah, five, 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 yeah, five. Yeah, I was really pumped to see that movie. Um, that was like. Oh, medieval like crusades like there's basically no movies about this stuff i loved gladiator and i came away being like wow like this had some amazing battle scenes and when i watched the the, the movie in theaters i came away really not understanding what the movie's story about um is it balian ba- yeah balian of Nibelin. yeah what uh orlando bloom's night what his arc was, what his story was. And then I watched the extended version and that fixed that for me. It and there's other, there's other features of that Italy, movie that I, I loved initially and are still good. It's his best movie. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, come on. This is a guy made Alien and Blade Runner. Come on. That's a bit much. No, but I think still, it's the best movie. I just think like Kingdom of Heaven, we got to open up to a Ridley Scott later. Um, yeah. But like, so Kingdom of Heaven, like to me, this movie, I'm just wondering like, what would I think if I can see some of this filled in a bit more. And that relates to also like, you know, you mentioned Ridley Scott's like um, his ability to build worlds. Again, for me, this movie, like I think there's moments that like, you know, some of the uh, sort of the parties in Paris that start to convey like a, a lived reality in the time period very well. 
and then there was like other pieces that sort of shifted and I, I didn't understand this world. And so again, I'm wondering if, if it has more breathing room, if the whole world building of this would just be better. Again, this is all like on some level hypothetical. Yeah. Everyone's sort of like, is it going to be the four hour version? So I can't I bank it all in that. But I think for me, the kingdom of heaven comparison, I, I still probably like this less than I like kingdom of heaven after my first time, but I still feel a little bit like that where I'm, there's a lot I like. And then there's just parts that I'm like, I'm not sure how this works. It feels like it actually just doesn't work for me in certain ways. Um, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, what did you think about some of the perf- supporting performances in this? Oh, you mean uh, that? I mentioned Vanessa Kirby, but we got to talk about our it. man, our man, Tahar Rahim is Paul Barras. <laughs> yeah, no, I love him. <laughs> Head of the directory. Okay. Tahar Rahim is like maybe the most the most underrated actor currently working. Like I, I think he's like near the top of like really good actress who's just never been given his his leading role in which that will win him an in, Oscar in like sort of, dude, of Hollywood yeah you know, and yeah because even like, take yeah, a, films, a, yeah. you, you take a tv show from uh five years ago called the looming tower about like 9-11 yeah. and stuff pre he is so good in that show like he makes that show incredible because a bit of you know the history in that show is a bit like questionable if you actually dig into things it's a very convent it, it's a very like kind of conventional take on on al-qaeda and things like that but um he's just brings a level to it that it's like completely fascinating and you get that obviously in the first movie that brought him to the big stage a prophet right oh, brilliant yeah yeah and now here you're like man i just i kind of want i almost want just like a, a french I, revolution movie with him and like the other guys <laughs> I don't want to throw out another movie that like I didn't actually love the movie and I wrote a slightly critical review of it, The Mauritanian on uh, mm. our, um Isn't that right? Yeah. He's the he is the Mauritanian, okay. uh, like the guy who was imprisoned at Guantanamo for his uh, supposed connections to Al Qaeda. Um, he's the the heart and soul of that film. He makes the movie watchable and is, it gives a great performance in a film that unfortunately dilutes its focus on other characters uh, when his character is just alone. Such a even the historical guy, it seems like such a um, amazing human being to survive what he did and and still walk away with his humanity intact. But um, yeah, no, I liked I liked him. No, he, I thought he was great. I, yeah. I thought um, uh, Rupert Everett is. <laughs> no, I really liked Duke Wellington. Like I, his Duke, Duke Wellington, Wellington is quite impressive too. Because it's been a while, and I was like, oh, wow, yeah. that's. <laughs> it's the first time also that Rupert Everett in a, or it's the it's the it's the only character in the movie aside from Napoleon that you get like a myth making around with yeah. the Duke Wellington. You're like, Oh, he's his whole thing of being like, regardless, like do not in like, don't leave this hill. Like it's, I was just thinking of, uh, Anakin, it's over. I have the high ground. <laughs> it's just like the basic rule of uh, combat where it's like, if you're higher, you generally are going to win. <laughs> um, especially in like a quagmire. Um, I, I enjoyed, um, I mean, like a lot of the other roles, frankly, are not particularly notable. I did enjoy the little bits of uh, Matthew Needham as Lucian Bonaparte. I remember he's mm. uh, he's in House of the Dragon as the like uh, the one Lannister yeah. or whatever, and he's like very he's very like whispery, like worm tongue style in that show. He's a little bit less like lecherous in this, but he's um he's just an interesting character actor, and I, he's the kind of yeah. guy I'm like, oh, I like seeing him on screen in these like costumes and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good that's a good connection point because then yeah, Napoleon just like installed all his like family members. I think I can't remember which king king he became. 
from period. What of do time. you think about the movies? Um, it's 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 quickness to like provoke. Like it wants mm-hmm. to provoke with its imagery of the cannonball blowing up the horse park, yeah. but even the opening of the like Mary Antoinette yeah. and then like ah like running around and like blood dripping and people like cheering and Napoleon's just kind of there being like, huh, interesting. Like <laughs> And even Robespierre's speeches, like oh, I, when, they, when they get them, like, get them. Like, <laughs> the chaos of the assembly. I love it actually. I love those scenes. And I agree, Anton. That's the thing. I'm like, I kind of wish we had more of that and we understood the the the, the link. So just my two kind of final thoughts on this is like the in in comparison to movies that both of you brought up. So the link in comparison is that this movie could have understood more of a procedural aspect of history because Mm, history is not history is not something that just happens. Even if you believe in the great men myth, like an Abraham Lincoln, it's because Abraham Lincoln is an individual who is smart enough to understand the procedure of making things happen. And he put it into action. Mm -hmm. And that movie is very great of like, think of all the scenes of, um, James Spader and stuff like going and like forcing these guys, like the whole scene where he's following Walton Goggins and he's like going to convince him. He's like, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do it. And it's just like hounding them. uh, Lincoln is just a better screenplay. You know, you've got a better screenwriter, a a master screenwriter based on good source material, team of rivals, right? Which is a good book. It means what we needed, what we need, not for this movie, but what we all need is now is we need a Napoleon TV show that plays like um, Game of Thrones. Yeah. That is all about like the intrigue of the, of this era. Cause it's so rich. Some violence and sex. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> Tons. And then the other is with Amadeus, what this film lacks that Amadeus has is a completely coalesced personalized point of view, which is Salieri. Salieri. Yeah. And you don't need a sal- You don't need a counter to, Napoleon, you just need a very clear human point of view. What if the movie was from Josephine's, Josephine's point, of point of view? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on a Vanessa clear Kirby way. Is a good enough act- and Vanessa Kirby's a good enough actress that she could have done. Yeah. And I they think it's one of the things possibility, did- but they don't. They, they don't, don't do with. it because she dies before he does, and they don't want to truncate the story by yeah. tying it to her. But then you could have tied it to some observer figure like it's or you could just tie made it up but they, but they just sort of him. do it they already sort of do it with her like speaking to him after her death right in the final scene it's almost like malick-esque where like she's like speaking in this sort of otherworldly way and like coaxing him and then he sort of dies yeah i like the final i actually, scene, actually. I actually like the i know i like that part. Poetic, yeah. and i also like the moment where he's like who burnt moscow you know to the ground and they're like uh didn't the the russians do it and he's like oh. yeah, i did <laughs> but and it's interesting but, it's but that but <laughs> actually that sums history. up history because it's like this it, that's actually a gr- i think that's a great moment because it's like it, it you're like okay well who did and it, it's either he's actually right on a level like you know what i mean if that's the way the history credit, works because they, would, they, wouldn't, they have, wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him yes yes they instigated it but they wouldn't have done it if i hadn't moved that way like it's one of those moments that you're like that's what history is and that's why history is complex because you literally can interpret it both ways and they're both correct depending on yeah, what you're, the, you're the whole on. the whole comment history is written by the victors is in the sense that the victor forces the event like in that there would be no writing if the victor didn't act in which yes. it forces the hand of the whole situation it's like well it's a very it napoleon's thing. is it napoleon's line where it's like history is the the lies we all all that are all agreed upon yeah, yeah, that's a Napoleon line. I can't. I actually don't know if that. It's one of those lines where I'm like, I don't know if it's yeah. real. <laughs> just 
describe. I, I lied. Uh, yeah. Did you want to say anything? Like, I just wanted to mention, because we had talked about cast, but like, just briefly on like Vanessa Kirby, I thought mm-hmm. she was well yeah, cast we because, um, so the character, like, I think you're right that she's definitely, her performance is definitely building on her other, you know, uh, royal performance, right, in in the crown. And, but she's also well cast because I feel like, my understanding is that like Josephine was like, um, was admired for her, like her beauty, but also like just her, like, like she, everyone at the time knew she had this voracious sexual appetite and she was like known for that. You want to be at the party that she's at. Yeah. And so like, I feel like she's able to combine, um, you believe her in as this sort of this noble woman and in the role while having that like that sexual erotic like energy in a way that i i feel like certain performances that's why i think it's really interesting that she's introduced in the party uh in the room we walk in all our eyes are drawn to her you know the low cut dress the the striking makeup the hair that's just you know been through prison but kind of this shock of like short bob you know and and like napoleon is drawn to her too but he's wants to maintain control and so he, he doesn't make his move at that time right so but she but the way that whole scene is staged i think draws on vanessa kirby's uh charisma in that performance yeah yeah no i i obviously i i like the film probably most of you but i'm i've i think i'm getting used to becoming the uh, the ridley scott defender uh not just among the three of us but online you know you're not the defender among us. we all i think we're all no but i I'm mean the one like, who just then, said that kingdom of heavens is best movie come yeah, on <laughs> but i'm just saying i've written defenses of the counselor uh alien covenant films that people yeah panned. prometheus and covenant are great like people need to get them as just like his weird twisted version sci-fi version of paradise lost and like <laughs> no i mean ridley scott is i even liked house of gucci <laughs> anders i, I, I when when we were when i knew we were doing this episode um i was thinking back to one of your comments in our last episode about david fincher and um i forget who the theorist is is the andrew saris version of auteur, auteur. Yep. and i thought that ridley scott was another good example of yeah. that where it's not Classic he's not the writer director sort of that controlling on that level but and he like always Fox, you he can always tell genre. it's a really scott movie when you just but he always but he can work in any genre yeah yeah like he's you know kind of in some way people associate him with either epics or science fiction but he's done everything you know no this really and his brother brought such a like sharp eye for like compositions and the possibilities of cinema on just that pure image making level that you know i think a lot of times the scripts and stuff that that is the maybe the weak spot but like uh, you know so it's such a strong uh cinematic sense that's what books are for <laughs> if you want a script ultimately go read a book now i feel a little bit bad because i feel like um our conversation just got like sidelined by uh so much discussion about like Napoleon and stuff. But what I mean no, is, but, but that's what the movie yeah. should do. It should encourage us to see, you know, I think too many, the other thing, I think Ridley Scott has said it a couple of times in interviews, uh, a couple of things. Um, one, this is very interesting also to have uh, Englishman's a knight, a British knight, uh, making a film about yeah. uh, the greatest Frenchman um, since Charlemagne. And the, uh, the, the other thing uh, he, he said about the film is that he was, you know, there's a, I thought, do people care about history, mm-hmm. basically? And how can I get people to be be interested in these things that always interested him as a as a child and as a young man? You know. So. Well, I definitely say, even though I have mixed feelings about the movie, I'm happy 
that there's this Napoleon movie out there. And we like, you know, we still need to tell movies like this where you have your historical figure and we're going to explore it. I found the crown of France in the gutter. I picked it up with the tip of my sword and cleaned it and placed it atop my own head. The most glorious, the most august Napoleon, emperor of the French, is crowned and enthroned. Long live the emperor! Long live the emperor! So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell. <laughs>